How's everyone? They're good to be back on Sunday nights. I'm pretty excited to have you all here. Uh, same, I got that one same from down the back. Uh, well, let me start as I would normally. Tena koto e tenei BBC Whanau, it's great to have you with us here back at night. Um, last week, last week was amazing and I wanted to kick off tonight just by thanking uh, the amazing array of people. You wouldn't have seen it, but uh, how many of you came to the worship night last week? Yeah, Woo! it was awesome. It was so good. Um, uh, we had about 40 or 50 different volunteers in different areas. I was a part of the orchestration of it, but I actually got to sit in here and be a part of it for the first time. Um, and we were led so well by so many different people. And I just love it because it's the body of Christ coming together and enriching each other. Amen. And so we're going to do another one of those at the end of the year. Uh, one, one comment that came out at least twice this week was, how are we going to top that? You know, um, And my thing is, it's not about topping that, it's about uh, improving it. So uh, we look forward to that at the end of the season. But let me open with prayer as we begin tonight. Our Lord, I, I'm taken back to the words Monica used this morning in that amazing sermon she brought, which is, Lord, that we come hungry Lord, we come humbly, and Lord, we especially want to come and become more holy. And tonight, we, we, we submit ourselves to you and to your word. Uh, Lord, take away anything uh, that is of this man, and Lord, implant in people your word by your spirit. Uh, take it and form it in us, we pray, as your community, in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. 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 Well, tonight we begin a little journey um, in the book of Isaiah. And how many of you uh, have spent any time in Isaiah, reading a little bit of Isaiah? Yeah, there's four hands, as I expected. Um, Isaiah is uh, the, a large prophetic book right in the middle of the Bible right here. And uh, it, it, it is quite a fascinating book. And I'm just going to open up to where I'm supposed to be uh, as I begin. Um, it's a fascinating book because for 39 chapters, it's one of the most depressing reads you'll read. Yeah? 39 chapters of the prophet, and this is what, you know, you go into a lot of the prophetic books, the prophet's basically telling the people of God, you've done it wrong, get your act together, the judgment of God is upon you. Okay? And he goes through and he systematically breaks down all of these different areas in their world that they're failing at. Um, but he does that in a way that is pastoral, sometimes very, very sharp. But it's 39 chapters of a 66-chapter book. And by the time you get to chapter 39, you're like, is there any hope for us, Lord? Is there any hope for us? And then you get to these eight chapters from chapter 40 through to 48. And you think, how are these in this book? They're the most hopeful joyful, promise-filled passages in, in the Isaiah narrative. And uh, tonight we're going to start with one of the most famous, which is Isaiah 40. Um, we've got this movement from uh, repentance, or this call for repentance for rebellion. You, you see them moving out of idolatry and, and getting this, and you think, man, these people must be just over it. Lord, there's no way that you can, you can uh, lead us through this because actually all you've done is you've, you've just caused us pain. You've caused us uh, worry. We're in the space where we've been taken over. And there's this amazing narrative that goes through the whole Bible that sits right here at this point, and it's this narrative of exile. 
So how many of you are familiar with the narrative of exile in Scripture? Good, I'm glad there's so few of you, uh, because tonight uh, I've got a, a, someone who's going to come and uh, share a little bit with us. Dr. John Douglas, would he come and join me up on stage? You can see he's a regular here at uh, Sunday nights. We're going to grab one of those mics for him as well. As he comes, um, I wanted us to understand something right at the beginning of the series of what it means for a group of people to move into exile and out of exile. John, come up on stage. Don't be shy. <laughs> this, this amazing legend. Here we go. Here we go. The amazing legend, John. Now, the exile motif, this narrative that's so poignant that goes through Scripture, uh, you last week, little did people know, but that amazing voice over that was there with those videos. Oh. <laughs> um, Bernie did a great job. He recorded you that week and then he spliced it all together and you came out sounding just amazing, John. Yeah, had me saying things I never thought of. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, uh, we asked you to do that because obviously with your experience as a principal of uh, a Bible college, um, your understanding of the scriptures, far greater than probably most of us combined in this room, um, you talked about one or two things that I wanted to just draw out this evening as we, as we begin this, uh, this time. Uh, you talked about exile and that it looks like, uh, and what it looks like for both Israel and us as the people of God. You said some things along the lines like, um, uh, we've been detained, we've been cut off, um, we've been locked down, and, and I've written some of these down here. Uh, it, it's a time to live responsibly with these new freedoms that we've, that we've found because of COVID. Now, you, we, we wanted to try and draw that out a little bit, but um, what, uh, what is, why is it an important concept for us as a people of God to understand the exile narrative yeah. that goes through Scripture? Yeah, well, exile has got four accounts in Scripture. You have firstly, uh, as we were, some of you weren't around then, but in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> <laughs> John was. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, there's, there's an exile from the Garden of Eden, That's right. so they're, they're cut off, sent from there. Yes. Uh, and then you have an exile from uh, Egypt, yep. they exile to there and from there. Yep. Uh, and, and then you have the uh, exile that we're focusing on, the one that comes with the kingdom of Judah, yes. go into Babylonian, uh, it's called Babylonian captivity, captivity, because the Babylonians had them captive. That's right, and they sent them out. Yeah, and the fourth one is uh, his tonight's $20 word, the diasporia. Diasporia. Hallelujah. Yeah, that's a $20 word. Say it quick and you'll get the baptism of the Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> well, people think you are. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Which simply means dispersion where uh, the, uh, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, they were, they were spread right across uh, the eastern world, across yep. the Euphrates, Babylon there still, yep. and then into... A Greek, uh, Greek city, and that's where the, the power of the book of Acts comes with the, uh, going to the synagogues in those areas. That's a, yeah. also, there's four, four times they, uh, they were exiled from their home. Into and out of exile. Yep. We are connecting this a little bit to our own journey as a country, as, as people who have uh, been through COVID, mm. a, a form of exile. Why is exile something important for us to grasp? Yeah. As a people of God, yeah. exile is as the people of God. It, it's important because it's not just 
that we're cut off from something, but we're called to a newness and a root that we're going to live uh, generation after generation in a new framework. And that's what the exile uh, does. It's so good. Now, I've got a second question. You said one statement that really stuck with me uh, last week, um, um, and that it's to do with God's people. And, uh, and the world and being taken into the situation that there's no, way, there's no way back from this. And you just touched on that, that the new normal, there, there's something different. Um, can, you, can you open that up a little bit for us? The new normal, what does that look like yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, for us as people? Yeah, the, uh, I just happen to have some notes here somewhere. He's got notes. <laughs> Brilliant. But they're in a safe place. They're in a safe place. Just draw them out of that yeah, mind. Draw them out of the mind, right. <laughs> the, um, what we take them? You said that there's no, there's no way there's back. There's no way back, yeah. So what is this new normal that you think yeah. God's drawing us yeah. into? I'm sorry, I'm enjoying myself. That's all right. <laughs> you can enjoy yourself more next week because he's actually preaching next week. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, there's, firstly, uh, take exile is you don't get yourself there, you are taken there. Yes. And uh, in the, um, the exiles of Scripture taken there, and the third one, which is our biggie, uh, they didn't sign up for it. No. They, were, they were taken there in chains and captive. Yep. And the prophets for several hundred years had been speaking towards how this would happen. Yep. And the biggest one who did that is Isaiah. That's right. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a shift and it's, an exile, not just for a short period. Uh, in the book of Judges, you've got these cycles where the people of Israel you know, get it wrong, yep. get off track, yep. get in trouble, repent like crazy, press the reset button. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like us. <laughs> yep. Yeah. They, they were humans too, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, it goes around. But the, the way the exile works, and uh, you know, Isaiah sees this for us too, is the... Um, they're taken there, and they're, they're there for at least three generations. Yeah. So there's a whole new reality that, that's built, that's not just for them, but in them yes. and through them, a missional building. That's profound. That's profound. Thank you, John. I appreciate your time. I'll let you preach more next week. <laughs> Let's give him a hand. Thanks, John. So you can see where we're going a little bit with this series. We want us to understand what is this new normal that we're actually living into as God's people in this new season. And uh, we'll get into that a little bit more um, soon. But the, I wanted to call tonight Hope and Promise. You see, the, the heart of these eight chapters that we're, we're reviewing over this time uh, have this as the very crux of them. Okay. Hope and promise. The promises of God, his, his covenant, right back to Abraham, and the hope that that brings to our life as we live it in the midst of some of the biggest challenges in our world. I, I want to take John's uh, thoughts a little further with you um, just now, and I, I wanted to um, share with you something that I participated in uh, during lockdown. I, believe it or not, uh, uh, participated in a five-kilometer fundraising event. Running, running, not walking. This guy right here. Um, everyone's like, 5Ks, bro, just toughen up. Uh, but the reality was uh, I did that because it's a part of a, um, a freedom business that I'm um, involved with called Loyal. And they had nearly 500 people participate in this here in New Zealand. 
um, and a bit further, 160-odd people who donated towards it. Now, the reason why they were doing that was because they were raising funds for India, where, where this business is, uh, and they were about to go into the same lockdown that we're in. Now, lockdown in that country and in the, in the neighborhood where Loyal is, is far more um, terrifying than anywhere else in the world. Um, their government is very um, corporal punishment on, orientated, and so if you walked out in the streets, basically you're going to get beaten by cops with big sticks. Um, you weren't allowed to leave the houses. A lot of these people um, trade on the street. They cook. They, everything's done in the street. Uh, and so what the founders of Little Workshop wanted to do is they wanted to raise funds um, for their community and for the ladies um, who found their freedom through that business to provide for their community. Now, I know that sounds kind of crazy, but they, they, they raised 31 grand okay, from 500 people in New Zealand. Now, none of the foreign people um, who are involved with the business were on site in India. Just the 18 women. In fact, um, the law workshop is able to pay these ladies their full wage for the next year if they have to during COVID lockdown. How cool is that, right? But the greatest thing, the thing that, that got me was when I thought about it, they're, they're actually putting the power back into the hands of the ladies who work and have found their freedom through that workshop to bless and care for the community. You see, what they did was they... they bought about, at the moment, it's about 10, 12 grand's worth of um, dry ration packets. Okay, so things like rice and lentils and oil and all these kind of things that they would use daily. And what they've done is they've given these um, dry ration packages to each of the ladies in their, in their community. And they've said, we don't want anyone in our community to starve. And so, because that's literally what would happen in their community. People would be starving to death. They're not allowed to leave their house. Okay, there's people still in lockdown who are without food. This is a red light district, okay? Um, this is a hard place. You earn your money on the street. And when that street's cut off, you got nothing, okay? These ladies just five years ago were those ladies in, on the street. They were the people who didn't have anything, who didn't have a hope and a future. And now, to think five years later that they have the opportunity to bless the community to give it to the neighbours to make sure, and then their neighbours can take some of that and give it to other neighbours. Um, at this time, as far as I know, that has become something that has been an absolute blessing in the area. Why do I share this? Why do I share this? Well, you see, this initiative um, from the little, little workshop leadership um, was one that was initiated in exile. As, as they were back here in New Zealand, they thought, what can we do to bring hope and promise to those who we love and we care for. They had to leave the country, otherwise they weren't allowed to get out. One of the, um, one of the families that served there uh, were uh, pregnant with, with their first baby, so they had to get out of there on the last plane. Um, but these women grabbed this opportunity and ran with it. At this point in the story with Isaiah, for weeks, months, years, generations, as John shared, these people have seen God pass his judgment on them and the people around them. And I wonder to myself if they could ever have thought or dreamed um, of something of a different future. See, these women were the first of their generation to dream and imagine a different future. 
And it was provided through the hope and the promise of Jesus Christ. You see, for us, as we come out of this whole COVID uh, uh, series of um, pains in our lives, we, 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 we learned some lessons along the way. But did we, while we were there in, that, in the midst of that, ever dare to dream or imagine a different way of being like these people had to? You see, 50 years ago, there was a massive storm. They had that again in India. Uh, the flooding everywhere, people couldn't go anywhere. There was this sensational moment in time uh, for these women. And here in this place called Loyal, they were able to find something different, some hope for life in their community. I share this because we're contrasting two worlds here. We, as, as the people of God here and now, we, we experienced a pretty light lockdown, really. I mean, some of you in here would be saying, I didn't experience a pretty light lockdown, but we did, really. And I, I wonder, did you in that time think to yourself, what would it be like if I could take some of these things that I'm learning, some of these things that I'm experiencing, and allow them to speak into my life beyond lockdown? I think some of us had grand ideas of doing that, but it didn't actually happen. On the weekend, last weekend, Annalise shared um, Psalm 126, and it's one of the several psalms there, 120 to 127, I think it is. They're called Songs of Ascent, and we've got a song about that. And these words come out of this. It says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. There's this song that came out of the people of God as they were comforted by Isaiah's words. So let me read some of those words to you this evening. And this is from Isaiah 41 to 6. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her, that her hard service has been completed and that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, and rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. There is this image that Isaiah is putting to his people. It's getting made level. It's getting made back to smooth sailing. I think probably what happens in these next few verses uh, in this is like a forecast change. You know, I lived in Auckland. How many of you lived in Auckland? You basically carry an umbrella and a jacket around in Auckland because it's raining and then it's sunny and then it's raining and then it's sunny and it's raining and it does that daily. Um, it's quite painful. Um, this is like that moment when a, there's a glimmer through the, sun, uh, through the um, clouds and you see the blue sky and the sun peering through. This is what it would have been like for those people. And the reason why I share these two things is because actually... I think, as the NIV application commentary says, the seeds of comfort may take root in the soil of adversity. Okay? We actually need to be in a place of discomfort 
to actually know and understand the comfort of Jesus, to understand the comfort of God in the midst of what we're going through. You see, for me, I remember spending some time as a family uh, in um, lockdown doing things that I didn't think we would have enough time to do. Um, Spending time walking around together in the evening, just relaxing. We had ample amount of time. Uh, We sat down and played board games. We did all these things. We prioritized some new things in our life that at the end of lockdown disappeared. We tried to do a little bit of it. We've added one or two things to our life, but we actually just jumped back into normal life. But as John and and the others have said, through exile, there's a new normal that's not the same as it was. We as a planet will never be the same again after this pandemic. And so I wonder, are you the kind of people, because I'm one of those people, where when life is so comfortable and back to normal, God sort of gets pushed further back into our lives? I think, I think sometimes we don't realize that actually we need adversity. We actually need that discomfort to know the comfort of God. And these people, this people of Israel, were definitely in that space. They wanted to know God and know his comfort, and they could get it in and through this understanding that Isaiah is sharing with them. We may not escape adversity, but we may well find God's comfort as we face it. Some of you might be facing it tonight. And we may well be hope and light for others in the midst of that, just like the ladies in India. You know, today I heard um, a children's pastor friend, um, Mel, she she lost her 11-year-old son today. This strange illness came upon him, and he he died this morning, 11 o'clock this morning. I had no words. I was just angry, and then I was just like, why, Lord? Why is this happening to her? Um, I can't even think of how they're feeling as a family at the moment. But one thing that I know is that in the midst of this, they'll know God closer than they've ever known him before. I'm not saying we pray these kind of things on anyone. But why is it that we have to learn God's comfort, his presence, his love for us, only in hard times, only when we're wrestling with the hardest things in our life? Why don't we pursue him in the midst of normality? I think it's because we have short memories, eh? We have really short memories. We have short enough memories that we forget about COVID. There's a recalibration time that needs to go on for us as God's people. And I want to encourage you tonight, maybe part of it is that we need to right-size our perspective of God. We need to right-size our perspective of God. That God is only around in the hard stuff is something that I think the enemy wants us to accept. And Isaiah knows that for the people that he's speaking to. And so in these next verses, he starts challenging them. It's, it's like Mon um, was sharing this morning. Paul's almost mocking them. Isaiah's mocking these people. He says these words, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. 
See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. He goes on to say, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked out or marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains and the scales and the hills in a balance? He's just going through and talking about all the realities that they see before them. He goes on, he says, Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? Who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him the knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? I just love how he's just slowly pulling through this. And Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires. They use the cedars of Lebanon to, to stoke the fires on the altar. Their, their animals, not enough. Lebanon was huge, millions and millions of animals. They're right-sizing God for people. He goes on, as, as for an idol, a metal worker, because this was one of the realities for them, they, they were struggling with idolatry. Um, a person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that would not rot. And they would take it to a skilled worker and he would collect it. But this is, that will not topple. They want to try and create idols that sat on shelves that didn't topple over. He's mocking them. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? And have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And its people are like grasshoppers. He's right-sizing them. He carries on. He brings the princess to naught. On and on. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Who created all of these? You see, what had happened is that the people of God had put their priorities in other things. The empire rulers, they, they, they came in and they destroyed places. They you know, they'd set up idols and they started putting their trust in maybe because God isn't here, I should put my trust in these other things. And so much of that happens in our life. We forget about who God is. There's this eternal call to all of God's people to a renewed dependence, a reorientation for us. It's a call to all of us to wait in confident expectation. You know, I heard this week, that um, there's something like 250,000 applications by Americans who want to live in New Zealand. 250,000 applications that were, it was in the news this week. I think to myself, actually, when we, when we think there's something better over there, we go over there, don't we? Instead of trying to fix what God might be doing here among us. And we have short memories as, as people because we only run to these, um, we, 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 we don't run to God when we need to. And there's times where I remember 9-11 happened and everyone goes, where's God? I remember when Japan had their tsunami and hundreds of thousands of people were killed. Where's God? What Isaiah is doing is he's right-sizing their perspective of God. Is your perspective of God in the right side? I'm a God of comfort, but only when you right-size your fears in comparison to me. 
Each new historical situation doesn't invalidate the truth of God's presence, his sovereignty, and his trustworthiness. But then he goes on and he finishes with this. He finishes with the words that are, I guess, preached the most or shared the most. And these verses from verse 27 through to 31 read like this. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. What? Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. This is a prophetic promise. A prophetic promise to us. One which was given to us through Abraham. One that was given to us uh, as, we, as we read through Scripture. There's these constant um, places where we, we understand that God is working on our behalf. You see, God, knowing his people would forsake him, nevertheless promises in advance to redeem them. And it goes on and on all the way through Scripture. And yet we still can't understand that God is bigger than our worries, bigger than our fears. And Isaiah is right-sizing us in that perspective. But this is a prophetic promise that is here. God will redeem His people. God will come again. There's a great quote that I saw this week. It says, nothing that we will face is outside the concern or the influence of God. It's a great thing to remember tonight. God is not only for us and, and knew that we would be unfaithful and still redeemed, but he also is invested in so much more than we believe he is. Nothing is outside his influence or his concern. I love that truth. I watched... I had Dr. Strange this week with my son. I'm a Marvel geek. And when the Ancient One, if you've seen the movie, says to Stephen Strange as she's dying, she says these words, Death is what gives meaning to life and living. You see, Jesus' death and resurrection is the prophetic promise that we live under. We live with the Holy Spirit among us guiding us and leading us even tonight. You see, nothing we will face is outside God's influence or concern. And tonight, there is a, a voice that's calling to us, a voice from Scripture. And I want to ask, what will be that commissioning voice to this generation? Will it be the truth of Scripture? Or will it be the empire of the day, the voice of the day, or the eternal voice for humanity? I invite the band to come tonight. 
Um, Isaiah is an amazing book that is going to uh, definitely blow your mind over these few weeks, and we've got some amazing people leading us. But in front of us, we have the communion elements. And I love the fact that when Jesus came to the disciples and he had these elements in front of them, he was enacting a prophetic promise with them that he will always be with them, that God will always be with them. And when he, when he took the bread and when he took the cup, those disciples didn't really realize that this was an echo that went back right to the beginning, that God wanted to give them something to remind them because their memories were so bad, to right-size their priorities in light of who God was. And he gave them these physical elements so that they would remember that he is God, that his blood and his redemption is for all and through all time. And tonight, I want to encourage you as the team leads us uh, that you can come, and I know some of you might have been here this morning, you can take communion twice in a day if you want. But I want to encourage you as you come to this table tonight, take the elements. Maybe you want to take it back and, and you want to share that with someone. But I want you to take those elements and, and see them as the prophetic promise that God made through all generations and for all generations that he is the redeemer of all people. And when we right-size him and prioritize him in our life, there is hope and there is promise. I'd like the team to lead us.